Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com before history is written it's played before it's frozen in time it's fought one shift at a time before it's etched in silver it's carved in ice what happens next will last forever The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hello there, Duke fans. Happy New Year, and welcome to episode number 576 of the Duke Basketball Roundup. We are coming to you on Monday, January 1st, 2024. We are in a new year, and with that, we get some basketball to talk about because the basketball season just keeps going. We have another game coming up on Tuesday against the Syracuse Orange. We are here to preview that. First off, I am Donald Wine. I am your host for this first episode of the new year, and alongside me, Jason Evans is back. He's done skiing the slopes. He's done. I believe you were at a wedding out in Park City. Uh, it looked yep. the, the picture you sent looked magnificent. Welcome back. Happy New Year, sir. Thank you very much. Yeah, I had a uh, I had a nice time skiing. I'll be honest, Donald. I only got in about half, maybe two thirds of a day because I took a pretty bad fall. <laughs> oh no. Uh, yeah, yeah. I I was I was coming down. Um, I don't do double blacks, but I do black diamonds. I, I came down a black diamond with my son, and then we were on a we hit a stretch that is blue blue square, which is not as difficult. And I was going a little bit faster, uh, and I don't even know what happened. I'm not sure what my skis hit. It, it out here in Park City, they have not had a lot of snow, and there are lots of grassy patches and things like that that you come across every now and then. I may have hit one of those. I don't even know. But suddenly, my skis were not underneath me anymore, and I was face first on the snow. Um, I sprained my thumb pretty badly and, and I hurt my shoulder. It made sleeping very difficult. I am, I'm operating on very little sleep because I can only sleep on one side. 
my wife said, thank God you didn't break anything because we've got another vacation coming up in a few weeks. And she's like, if you break a bone and can't go on this trip, I'm going to be pissed off. So, <laughs> so I she's avoided probably that. But... She's probably going to go on the trip without you. So yeah, um, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> look, I will say I, I, I don't ski. I've never skied before, uh, at least downhill skied. Uh, they say that the 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 most uh, I guess exciting or I don't know the best word to describe it the best falls the worst falls what have you are the ones where you don't remember what happened until it's over yeah right all of a sudden you're <laughs> you they always they always start with yeah I was skiing and I was doing fine all of a sudden my skis were above my head and I don't know what happened after that but I'm glad that you are relatively okay I know the sprain yes. thumb and 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 hurt shoulder is not is not fun but I, I'm glad you're relatively uh, okay other than that I I, I will add. And I'd forgotten about this because it had been a couple of years since I'd last skied. The greatest feeling on earth is taking off your ski boots. I'm okay. telling you, man. <laughs> I'm telling you, uh, the end of the day, when you get those puppies off, you're like, I didn't know my feet could feel this good. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Because um, they felt not, lousy. Fun. They felt lousy for the past several hours and now they feel good again. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, we're not we're, we're done with the skiing part of the DBR yeah. podcast. We are going to get to the basketball, as I mentioned, Syracuse Orange. Take on them tomorrow night, uh, Tuesday night, uh, January second. They are ten and three so far on the season, one and one in the ACC, eighty third in Ken Palm, and I, I, obviously the first thing with with Syracuse is they're operating under a new head coach for the last fifty some odd years. It was the Jim Beheim led Syracuse Orange. Now it's Adrian Autry who has taken over for the recently retired Jim Beheim. So first up, before we get into all that, Jason, what's that going to be like? That kind of dynamic. It's the first time that we see John Shire versus Adrian Autry in in the you know relatively short history of Syracuse in the ACC. We've had some great Jim Beheim moments. We're not going to probably get those under Adrian Autry. No. He's not going to be throwing jackets that will then later be auctioned up for charity. But what do you think about this matchup as a whole entering that, knowing that they are under new leadership? I mean, it's two coaches who are in a very interesting situation, I think, for both of them, because they both took over for absolute legends. Uh, Adrian Autry, to some extent, has a, a you know different set of expectations on him than John Shire did, because the Syracuse program as great as Jim Beheim was and as great as that program was for a long, long time, had been in a serious decline for the past several years. And a lot of that decline was because of Jim Beheim's just steadfast belief in that 2-3, the Syracuse matchup zone that, that was unbelievably effective for decades of college basketball. Donald, it, it had not been effective for the past five years or so. And... Adrian Autry came in, and one of the first things he did, even though he played for Jim Beheim, one of the first things he did was he said, "We're not going to play zone anymore." Uh, you know, not not they don't. It's not like they never play zone, but like most teams in college basketball, they mostly play man to man. And I think for Duke fans, it's just going to be interesting to see a Syracuse team where you don't know what you're going to get on defense because for years you knew you it, it was. Absolutely crystal clear what playing Syracuse meant. It meant moving the ball around the perimeter, moving the ball to that foul line, you know, the middle of that zone, and then mm -hmm. finding open three-point shooters. That's that's what the entire game plan was. And if you shot well, you crushed them. And if you didn't shoot well from three, you were in trouble. It was as simple as that. And there's uncertainty now because Adrian Autry is playing differently than Jim Beheim did. And as a result, we have a completely different Syracuse team. It, it And it looks like it. I, I'm glad you mentioned 
the main difference between Autry and Bayheim is the defense, the defensive scheme they put forth, man versus own. We will put a pin on that because I think it translates a little bit to some of the metrics uh, that we see when we talk about Syracuse. You think? We, yeah. <laughs> In a big way, yeah. To, before we get to that quickly, you know, as I mentioned, they're 10 and three, one and one, the ACC. They have, you know, a couple of decent wins. They have a win over LSU. They have a win over Oregon. Uh, and then they, they struggled to close out pit at home on Saturday, uh, but they were able to get the job done. Their losses, come against Tennessee, Gonzaga, and Virginia. Two of those, Tennessee and Gonzaga, were at the Maui Invitational. No shame in losing to those, to those two teams. And really, honestly, there's no shame in losing to Virginia either. All of them very, very good teams uh, that Syracuse probably, I think they were underdogs in all three of those games and you know played like it in those three games. I think when you look at those three losses, there, there's two guys we're going to talk about mostly in this, uh, Judah Mintz and J.J. Starling. J.J. Starling transferred over from Notre Dame. He was... Uh, under Mike Bray last year before Mike Bray retired. He transferred over to Syracuse, and both of them have been doing pretty well. They've been pacing Syracuse, but against Tennessee and UVA, it was a matter of whether Judah Mintz or J.J. Starling would have the off-night offensively. That's what helped That's what, you know helped their struggles uh, against those two teams. Against Pitt, both of them struggled, and Syracuse got a lot of production from their bench. 52 of Syracuse's 81 points on Saturday came from their bench. So, it's it's interesting when you take a look at that and, and when we get into the players and, and some of the, the metrics, you'll see how that kind of lines up. But Jason, I'll get to you for the metrics. Right now, when we talk about, you, you mentioned the translation of the defense from a 2-3 zone to a mostly man-to-man matchup. Their defense has been outpacing their offense at several stretches so far during the season. And sure. it, it seems like they've taken to the man-to-man, which is kind of falling in line with the rest of college basketball. Yeah. And by the way, before I get to the advanced metrics, there's I just want to give one stat about the zone versus man to man at Syracuse. This is going to blow you away, Donald. So last season in all of college basketball, 360 something teams, there are only 15 teams who played zone on one third of their possessions. I want to repeat that there were only 15 teams in all college basketball who played zone for even one third of their possessions. Syracuse last season played zone on more than 90% of their possessions. The number is 90.3. And frankly, Jason, Jason, that that number is staggering because it was to the point where, especially in the early days of Syracuse in the ACC, if you remember coach K would schedule some non-conference team, that was one of the other 14 teams that played like a matchup zone yeah, of some exactly. sort. Just so yeah. we could be prepared to see it when Syracuse came to town. In later years, we didn't really have to because we had so much tape on how to how to you know make you know break through that. But in the early years, it definitely was, and that's kind of the thing was it's almost like in football, you had the the triple option when Georgia Tech came yeah. down or Army or Navy, right. right? They get the triple option, you're like, man, I gotta. How do we prepare for this? And then you kind of got yourself out of your rhythm for the other games because you spend so much time trying to master the two, three matchup zone and how to, how to untangle it. So this, the fact that their defense has improved this year is staggering to me, considering the fact that people don't have to prepare for them, especially given that they're playing man-to-man defense. Yeah. And the place in the advanced metrics that you see the difference with them is the pace of play. Uh, and and because that zone defense is gone, the the last time Syracuse played with a pace that was among the top hundred teams in all of college basketball was 2010, before they joined the ACC. For the past 15 years, 
they have had one of the slowest defensive possessions in all of college basketball. We talked about it because people just move the ball around trying to solve the famed 2-3 Jimmy Beheim zone defense, and it takes time to solve that defense. And as a result, you could count on Syracuse defensive possessions being really, really slow. This year, it's a whole new ball game. Syracuse is playing with the 42nd fastest pace in all of college basketball. And a lot of that is because they are super fast on defense. Literally, this team has gone from one of the slowest teams in the country to the 22nd fastest team in the land on defense. They're playing pressure man-to-man. They're doing a really good job of turning opposing teams over. They're top 40 in the country at defensive turnover percentage. That means the old Syracuse teams, they, they like didn't get turnovers. It like wasn't part of the game plan. Now, again, one of the top 40 teams in the country at getting turnovers. They're blocking shots, this current Syracuse team does. Top 25 in the nation is shot blocking. They scramble. They help. They play good man-to-man defense. This is the new trademark of Syracuse basketball, and it's really working for them. Now, for the past few years, Syracuse has been one of the worst teams in the country, like bottom five in defensive assist percentage and the number of three-pointers they allowed. Again, we talked about against that zone, you pass the open man who's open for a three outside the line. And that was something that you could always do against Syracuse. This year, those are two places where Syracuse has gotten better, but not like great. They're still in the bottom 150 or so in assist percentage and three-point field goals allowed, but at least they aren't among the five worst teams in the country against them. You recall Donald last year, Duke, Duke just bombed away from three and, mm-hmm. and repeated. And that's been the story against Syracuse for years and years. For better or worse, that, right? There were games where yeah. we were struggling from three, but we still, that was, that was the way to crack the code. Yeah. But that's just not happening this year. So don't expect that uh, in this upcoming game that we have against them. The, the thing that they don't do well on defense, because I mentioned they're blocking shots, they're turning teams over. The thing they don't do well is they don't get very many defensive rebounds and uh, they, they give up too many offensive rebounds. They're 280th in the country at offensive, uh, I should say, sorry, a defensive rebounding percentage. And that's the thing that's hurting them on defense more than anything else. Duke is going to have to take advantage of that. We're going to need Mark Mitchell, especially to help us out on the offensive boards. Cause you know, Kyle Filipowski will be in there. We probably will need one of our wings to get in there and try an offensive rebound as well, because that's a place that you can solve the Syracuse defense. Cause other than that, this is a very, very good defensive team. Let's get to the offense really quick. Syracuse is not very good from long range on offense. They don't take a lot of threes and they don't make a lot of threes. Only about 34% of their shots come from behind the arc, which, which is fairly low in terms of all of college basketball. The guy to look out for on the perimeter, though, is their small forward, a guy named Chris Bell. He plays mm-hmm. only about half the ball game, but he takes more than six three-pointers per game. So when he comes up, you can expect him to start firing away very quickly. I mentioned they're not very good at defensive rebounding. They're also not very good at offensive rebounding. This is just not a very good rebounding team. They're in like the bottom 100 or so in the country at offensive rebounding. Um, And I was surprised at one thing that I noticed. They're not great at getting to the free throw line, which considering that Judah Mintz attacks the basket a ton and Quadir Copeland and J.J. Starling, these guys are all pretty good at, at drawing fouls on their way to the hoop. For some reason, this Syracuse team just doesn't overall get to the line as much as you might think. Uh, last couple of things I would have for them, it is worth noting that this is a fairly tall team. They're top 25 in the country in terms of their overall height 
And it's not because of a bunch of giants. They they do have Naheem Copeland, who's a seven foot four transfer from Florida State. He typically starts the game at center and then comes out fairly quickly. He doesn't play a ton of minutes, but he will probably start for them at center. But the reason they are a tall team is because they like they have no short guys. <laughs> like no one on the team is smaller than like six four. And they've got a ton of guys who are between like six six and six nine who who all play a lot. And I think one of the interesting things that Duke's going to face, you know, in terms of a matchup against this team is that there are some guys on Duke who are a little bit like Jeremy Roach. You know, I'm really interested in seeing who Duke uses Jeremy Roach on because there are not a lot of good options for him defensively, even though he's obviously very experienced and very good defender. You know, you mentioned Naheem McLeod from uh, Florida State. He was part of that. You remember a couple years ago, uh, Florida State had like four guys had, that were both like five, seven they three. Had five, they had five of them, I think. It was crazy. Yeah. Five over seven foot, and I think three of them were over seven three. Naheem McLeod was one of them. Um, so uh, interesting that he has transferred over to Syracuse, and we'll probably see him at some point on the floor tomorrow night. I know he doesn't start all the time, but there has been lineups where he has uh, started out, and like you said, started out kind of got that you know under TV under sixteen TV timeout burst, and then hit the bench for some of the other guys to come in. Jason, I think the one thing I'm looking at for this game, there's well, there's two things. The first thing is we, we saw Tyrese Proctor come back. I know you weren't on the uh, the recap show for Queens, but we saw him come back and he started on the bench and enter the into the game and still got about 18 minutes of, of, of playing action. Looked pretty, you know, pretty decent in his first game back uh, from the ankle injury. Does he move back into the starting lineup against Syracuse? I I, I don't know the answer to that question, but I do know that those minutes are still going to be. Uh, fairly heavy and I think they'll probably work to increase his workload up into the you know high 20s and early 30s uh, worth of minutes that he is normally accustomed to getting I think the other thing that's interesting is that we played Queens on Saturday because as we previewed Queens has a really high tempo and the reason why we were able to get 106 points is because it was just up and down up and down up and down I don't think it's going to be that fast against Syracuse, but it's interesting that Syracuse's tempo has increased the way it has because Queens that game might be an indicator of how we play stylistically against the orange. So I think it's interesting that these two games have to be back to back. Yeah. I, I think that's a really interesting point. And uh, I hadn't thought of that. I, I, uh, I don't know if that was, if it was scheduled that way intentionally, because I'm not sure that we knew exactly. Yeah. We did. I don't fast, think we did yet. We didn't know how fast Syracuse would play. And, and they also, they play faster on defense, so to speak than they do on offense. So it's not like, Queens was a team that was coming down. They were trying to put up a shot as quickly as possible. Syracuse is not like that. I'll tell you, Donald, the, the thing I do want to talk about regarding Syracuse is we got to talk about Judah Mintz a little bit because yeah, this guy is he's absolutely – he's a strong all-ACC con contender right now, um, like first-team all-ACC. And, uh, you know, I don't know that he's number one on the list, but he's in the running for ACC Player of the Year at the moment. His advanced stats are eye-popping. He is the 10th best guard in the country at drawing fouls. Duke is going to have to figure out who's going to, who are, who we put on him. And we're probably going to have to rotate guys on him a little bit because he will, he will knock someone out of the game. If you just let him attack, attack, attack against the same guy, he draws fouls at a usage rate of higher than 31%. And by that, I mean, he takes a ton of shots. Uh, he finishes plays for Syracuse. He's one of the top 30 players in the country at usage rate. And, you know, he is also on the other end of the floor, an absolutely elite defensive guard. He's one of the top steel guys in the ACC. 
Um, he, he has a decent assist rate. I've noticed in the recent games that he's been shooting a little bit less and facilitating a little bit more. You know, he's been putting up four or five assists per game. Judah Mintz is a problem that Duke will need to solve. And he is a rare breed in college basketball in that he's a guy who can pull up and take a three. He's a guy who will, you know, drive you into the lane, then take a jab step and, you know, take like a fadeaway or a pull-up jumper, or he will go all the way to the rim. He is a three-level scorer. I'm not sure there's anybody on Duke who's quite like him. Maybe Jared McCain is the closest thing, or Jeremy Roach, you know, guys who, uh, although he's a better finisher in the lane and around the basket, and he's more athletic than both Roach and McCain. But Judah Mintz is just a serious, serious threat anytime he has the ball in his hands, and he's going to put you on your heels. And I'm really interested in seeing you know, how Duke matches up against him. You talk about the playing time for guys. I think our best matchup on him is probably Tyrese Proctor, who mm-hmm. I think is our best perimeter defender. I think if Proctor's not starting, you're going to see Caleb Foster probably start on him because Caleb Foster has a little more physicality, and Judah Mintz is strong. He doesn't you know, he's not super heavy. It's not like he's a guy who's going to bowl you over, but he's physically strong and takes the ball to the basket with such strength that I think you need the strong guy to guard against him. But if if Syracuse is going to upset Duke in this game, it will be, I think, because Judah Mintz not only has a big game scoring, but is facilitating for his teammates and putting Duke in difficult defensive positions. That is what he does. He attacks so relentlessly that your entire defense gets, you know, sort of moved out of whack a little bit, and it creates openings either for him or for other players. I was going to mention those two guys, Tyrese Proctor and Caleb Foster, will probably get the bulk of the minutes defending Judah Mintz, but also, you know, look out for Jalen Blakes when he comes in the game to be a pest, to kind of give somebody a chance. To, I love uh, you that, know, also, yeah. You know, just to be a pest, not necessarily cause him to do anything, but just be just be the you know fly in the ointment and get him out of his game and fluster him. Because as I mentioned, in the losses that Syracuse has, either him or J.J. Starling or both have a terrible game offensively. So the idea is going to, and usually if you shut down Judah Mintz, the rest of the team has to figure out where those points come from. And, and like I said, against Pitt, it came from their bench, but that wasn't something that was you know part of the game plan. They had to kind of adjust to that and adjust to Pitt. I do think the one thing about Judah Mintz that we need to look out for is that because he has the ball in his hands a lot, he turns the ball over a lot. He averages almost three turnovers a game. I know J.J. True. Starling also has the ball in his hands a lot. He averages just over two turnovers a game. And as a team, they average 12 turnovers a game. Can we get the ball out of their hands one? And if we do get the ball, if they do have the ball in their hands, can we get it where we're frustrating him into making a bad decision with the basketball? Because, of course, if we could do that, we're going the other way, and we've gotten a lot of points off turnovers, a lot of fast break points the last couple of weeks. That's been, you know, again, our defense has kind of turned our offense into a firepower a firehouse because we are the ones grabbing the ball, going the other way, and keeping you know the opponents on their heels. Hey, I'll mention one other player who's going to be a real key for Syracuse in this game, um, Quadir Copeland, who mm-hmm. comes off the bench. You've mentioned their bench and their bench scoring. He is the guy who comes off the bench and really picks up the scoring. And the surprising thing is for a guy who who comes off the bench, he's second highest on the team in usage rate. I mean, he comes in knowing that it is his job to take shots. It's his job to attack the basket. And and it, Duke needs to be aware a, a of Quadir Copeland. Uh, it's really easy to fall into the trap of just thinking that Judah Mintz and J.J. Starling are the guys you pay attention to. Quadir Copeland can burn you. Believe me, he did it to Pitt. He's the guy who beat Pitt. When, when they won points, that game, yeah. 
Yeah, when they won that game over Pittsburgh, it's because they went just crazy in the second half. They scored 51 points on Pitt in the second half. They were down at halftime, and they ended up blowing Pitt out in the second half. And a lot of that was Quadir Copeland taking over on offense for Syracuse. So it's going to be a really good game. I, I'm I'm looking forward to it again. This kind of it's kind of intriguing because of a lot of the the storylines that we talked about with the new coaches, the new systems, and, and some of these players who you know we're used to, but we've seen uh, you know play on different teams in years past. Again, that game Tuesday on uh, on ESPN at 9 p.m. at Cameron Indoor Stadium. Cameron, get loud, ladies and gentlemen. It's going to be they're coming. They're coming to town. We need to be ready. Let's take a quick break. On the other side, 2 a.m. tweets and where they might lead. What are we talking about? We'll tell you after. This episode of the Duke Basketball Roundup is sponsored by BetterHelp. Wow, the year feels like it's flown by. As we enter the summer, it is the time to take note of the wins that life has brought you. And it's a good time to make adjustments for the rest of 2024. Talking to someone about those wins and improvements can help you recalibrate and give you something to focus on for the remaining months of the year. That's right, Donald. That's where BetterHelp can provide the alley-oop. Getting advice from a therapist can help you keep the focus on the good things in life and learn how to handle the hard better. It's online, it's flexible, and you get to fit it within your schedule. You just fill out a questionnaire and you get matched to a professional that can serve as your guide and you can switch anytime you wish. So if you need help setting those goals to carry you through 2024, try BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash DukeBB, that's D-U-K-E-B-B, today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash DukeBB. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Okay, we are back, and we have to talk about uh, a tweet that kind of took Twitter by storm. Um, it was one of those late late night tweets after the Queens game on Saturday night. It did not come from one of the players on the Duke men's basketball team, but it did come from one of the parents. And Jason, I'll give it to you because when we saw this, we kind of were 
confused as to what was going on, but tell everybody what we're talking about and uh, take it from there. Yeah. So Mark Mitchell's father, Mark Mitchell senior, uh, who does not do a lot of Twitter. He's not someone who's really, really active on Twitter, but he sent out a tweet, as you said, at, at two eighteen AM on, uh, you know, in the wake of the game against Queens. And this is what he wrote. We as a family do not support what we're seeing from Mark at Duke. How do you show up at a university and lose your identity? Both Mark and Duke need to work it out. Disturbing. Well, Donald, there's there's a lot in there that you can try and figure out. There's a lot unsaid. What is very, very clear is that the Mitchell family is upset about something about Mark and what's going on with him at Duke. It's it's possible. I, I've, I've heard some speculation. I've speculated myself that this may not only be about basketball, that it could be about other things involving Mark's character and what he's doing at Duke. You know, maybe it's having to do with his studies or extracurricular activities. Who knows what it may be, but I think it is mostly about basketball. Um, his father mostly tends to tweet about Mark's basketball game. Um, it, it's it's and, and by the way, for all that is unclear about that tweet, it is abundantly clear that the family is upset about something regarding Mark and Duke. And if, if we assume that it's basketball, then I guess it's kind of hard to understand what they're upset about because Mark gets plenty of playing time. Mark Mitchell is routinely playing 30 plus minutes per game. He is given plenty of opportunities. It's not like Duke is, you know, sitting him on the, uh, you know, on the baseline or something and saying, don't, don't shoot the ball. Don't, you know, don't, don't take advantage. Mark, Mark Mitchell is actually one of the highest usage players on this Duke basketball team. Uh, you know, next to Kyle Filipowski, he's the guy who's likely to, to take a shot as much as anyone on this team. Um, so, you know, we, we, we have to try and figure out maybe what's going on here. But the biggest thing to me is that there's no way that the father is saying this and he hasn't spoken to Mark about it. There's, there's something going on with Mark's family and with Mark and probably with the Duke program. And you just hope that something like this doesn't become a distraction and doesn't, you know, cause Mark to, to maybe try and do things that he shouldn't be doing. Um, people speculate that maybe the family is concerned about Mark's NBA draft stock. Certainly, Mark Mitchell's inability to hit a three-pointer this year. He's at he's hitting five percent. He's one for twenty on three-pointers. That's that's affecting his NBA future at the moment. Uh, Mark's NBA future is as a three and D um, player in the NBA, and there are certainly plenty of guys who've made long, lucrative careers out of being really good on defense and then good at hitting three-pointers. Mark Mitchell is not good at hitting three-pointers. And and it may be that the family is really upset about that. I, you know, I don't know. I I'm 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 guessing, but but I do think it was worth us discussing because this is clearly something going on with one of the key players for Duke right now. I, I will mention that Mark Mitchell Sr. had posted like he kind of quote tweeted his own tweet and kind of said, I have faith in Duke and and uh, and God and 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 Mark to kind of figure this out and, and get back on the right track, which kind of led to a little bit more confusion. I think that portion of the tweet was later deleted. Um, and, and Jason, as as everyone out there knows, we we we've talked with parents on this show. You know, we we just had the McCain's on here. Um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we've talked with a couple of other parents um, yeah. offline as well. Um, and and just kind of you know 
getting the lay of the land of, of how this team and, and, and their sons are, are working on this team. So I, I tread lightly because I don't know if Mark Mitchell Sr. listens to the show or anything like that. But it's it's also the, the interesting part is I think what made the tweet blow up was the timing of it, right? It was late night after a Duke game in which I thought Mark Mitchell, we, we talked about Mark Mitchell in that recap. I thought he did very well. Of course, he took the 1-3 and missed it. But I thought in every other facet of the game, he was he was great. And when you think about what Mark Mitchell has, you and I and, and Sam on this show have talked extensively about how important Mark Mitchell has been to this team. When he scores 10 points, our record is is speaks for itself. I think it's now 38 and two um, when Mark Mitchell scores double digits. The, that the fact that he started every game last year, except for the one game that knocked us out of the NCAA tournament. And that's because he was injured. He started all the games this year with the exception of one. And even in that game, he had a great, great game and re-entered the starting lineup after that. So I think when we talk about Mark Mitchell, we are we want to see him just like everyone else succeed as much as possible. And we think to the most for the most part, he's been doing that. It now has, you know, like you said, his three pointers have not been going in, and that's been a cause for concern all season long. We we are in the corner of you know, we think he can turn this around. We're not asking him to shoot 60% from three. We're asking him to shoot 30% from three because that is just going to be so much more of a problem for defenses when they try to game plan for Duke. And I will say, Jason, yes, there are three and D guys in the NBA. There's also Ben Simmons who does not shoot threes. Um, and I don't know if that's the kind of play that he's yeah, looking but Mark, for. I mean, but... look, no, no, no. Mark, Mark Mitchell is never – sorry, really quick. Yeah, I went back and when I read this tweet from Mark Mitchell's father, I was like, you know, he talks about him losing his identity. And I went, oh, well, maybe there was something about Mark Mitchell's game in high school that is very different than what we're seeing here, you know, here and now. And I went back and looked at, you know, scouting reports and recruiting profiles and such of Mark Mitchell coming out of high school. He was not known as a guy who was a facilitator. He was not a guy who you went, put the ball in his hands, let him create for other people. He was mm-hmm. not a guy who's known for a three-point shot. You know, it was said to be decent. Look, no one, no one forecasted he was going to be a guy who could was going to be one for twenty. And I still think that by the end of the season, he will be considerably better than that. He has a hot streak in yeah. him to make up for this prolonged cold streak that we're seeing right now. But he was not coming out of high school. He was not a guy who was known as a great three-point shooter. He was known as a as a slasher, as a guy who finishes around the basket, as a versatile defender. Who's tough on the boards? <laughs> if if his father feels like Mark's identity has changed, it's confusing to me because what I just described, Mark Mitchell in high school, is exactly what he's been at Duke. So that's part of the you know the mystery around all this stuff. And like I said, you know, again, we don't know how much of this is basketball and maybe other stuff. It's possible that the identity portion of it may be stuff off the court and not just on the court. I don't know. But again, you know, I think it's worth talking about and being aware of. I was going to say, you know, in, in keeping in line with, you know, again, the three and D guys in the NBA, you have that. I, I mentioned as a joke that Ben Simmons still exists. He he can't hit a three to save his life. And I think he's had one three in the NBA um, in total. But this kind of uh, the way that Mark Mitchell is struggling from three, I, I say this with a positive. It reminds me of that stretch in 2020 when Jack White couldn't couldn't hit the broadside of a barn to save his life. Oh my gosh, yeah. And in like every single game it just kept festering, it kept festering, it kept building up, kept building up. 
And then Sam and I were at that Miami game when he finally hit that three. You could feel the weight lift off his shoulders, and he went on a rampage, right? Right up until COVID took that team, you know, it yeah. took everybody and put us put us behind closed doors. That is this kind of story ending that I'm hoping for, not the COVID part, but that's the story ending that I'm hoping for with Mark Mitchell. There is going to be a point where he hits a three. I hope he does it at home. I hope he does it in his next games against Syracuse because when it happened, the doors are going to fly off of that gym. The weight is going to be lifted. It's going to be palpable. And we have seen a lot of guys who have been, had stretches of struggling. When they get that one thing off that one monkey off of their back, they go on a tear. And I think that's what's building for Mark Mitchell. I, I, I hope that I, you know, I hope he stays confident throughout all this, whatever's going on on the court, off the court, Whatever is going on, I hope throughout all this, no matter what, he stays confident in himself and his ability because we are confident in his ability. We know that he can hit the three. We've seen it. It's it's going to happen. And when it does, this is going to be one of those things that will, will hopefully turn the season around for him. And then we we kind of hopefully we'll look back at the end of the season and go, remember that time when Mark Mitchell couldn't hit anything and then he went on that tear? That was fun. <laughs> you know, that's what I'm yeah. hoping for for Mark Mitchell. Yeah, I've mentioned this before, but the, the the biggest thing to me about Mark Mitchell's three-pointers is he continues to shoot them. And that right. says to and you don't see John Shar going, no, mm-hmm. you, know, you don't see John Shar pulling him out of the game when it happens. That says to me that the team, that the coaching staff and Mark all have confidence that he can hit that shot. It says to me that he's hitting it in practice, but it's just not happening in games yet. But the fact that he continues to take it says that everyone thinks he can make that shot and so I agree with you. He's going to have a run where the floodgate, floodgates are going to open and, and he's going to start shooting much, much better. Last thing I have on all this, um, uh, first of all, if if Mark Mitchell Sr. wants to clarify what was going on in that tweet and wants to reach out to us, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. We'd, we'd love to hear from you and and really understand what's going on with your family and and and, and you know what your concerns are. But I do want to say, I, I wish it hadn't come in a tweet. I wish it ha- hadn't been public. Things like this are generally said best behind closed doors. Donald, you pointed out it came out at, at 2 a.m. I'm not sure. There are very few 2 a.m. tweets that are a good <laughs> idea. <laughs> it just I know what I was doing at 2 a.m. It, yeah. it wasn't it wasn't tweetable. So <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. But uh, but I, I I hope people aren't you know taking sides or. Or you know, getting too worked up about things like this, I I, I think this may have just been a, a a father and a family who are a little concerned about you know how their son's season is going so far, and I, I wish they hadn't said it publicly, but but I understand why they look these these are their kids and they're still young. <laughs> Most of the guys in this Duke team aren't even twenty years old yet, so I I, I completely understand it, um, and I wish the Mitchells all the best. Yeah, and and it, first off, getting back to the confidence thing, I, I think we talked about this in a previous show, but we talked about the fact that, you know, as you said, Mark Mitchell's not shooting the ball and then immediately turned to the bench like, I messed up, didn't I? And the coaching staff's not sitting there saying, you, you took a bad shot. All of them come within the flow of the offense. They're just not going down. They, they will go down. I have full, full belief that that is going to happen. I will also say, Jason, you're, you're a parent. Obviously, you understand this. When we had the McCains on, they mentioned that uh, – that they're Jared's biggest fan and biggest critic. That's what parents are supposed to do. This could all be something to help motivate Mark. 
Jr., right? This may this may not be for us. Yeah. This may just be for him um, that he just tweeted. That's a great point. Uh, so it could be something like that. We Again, we have no idea. It is something worth talking about because it was put out there in the public for the public to digest in their own in, in whatever way they do. Some some of the fan base went one way with it. I think we took a more, you know, measured approach to it, at least having a couple of days to think about what what the what those words really mean and, and how it translates to uh, the flow of everything. But yeah, if, if it's something where Mark Mitchell is uh, is struggling and this is the motivation to help get him, you know, get him back in the gym or, or keep his confidence uh, centered, um, keep himself grounded in, in, in all the faith uh, that he has, uh, that he believes in, right? That that's part of this rounding of a college student. And in this, this education process is not just on the basketball court. It's in, it's in the daily life that he lives. Hopefully all of that, he is still staying centered. He's keeping his, his teammates around him, his teammates to lift him up, his coaching staff to lift him up and, and his family. And I think that's the most important thing. And as fans, that's what we need to do as well, I believe, to keep them keep them centered, keep them grounded, but also lift them up when they're down. Again, in Cameron, tomorrow night, if he hits, the, if he misses that first three, your job is not to to groan or say not again. Your job is to to motivate him to let them know, hey, next play, that next game, that next that next play you do, that next dunk, we're gonna go nuts for you. When Cameron, when when everyone in Cameron struggles, everyone needs to build up so that we. Uh, get back on a run and we get back to business of being Duke basketball. So with that, let's end it on 576 of the Duke basketball roundup. Thank you as always for listening. Remember you can follow us on Twitter at Duke roundup. You can email us DBR podcast at gmail.com. We have affiliate links with homage and fanatics. Check our links again, use DBR podcast at home field apparel. You can save 15% off the first order. It helps support the show. It's, it's, it's great, great stuff. And you know, even the even the shirts that they have are incredible. But Jason Evans, who is sitting in the sun now in the city of Utah, I am Donald Wine. This is now the two fan. Play us out and take us home. Happy New Year. <laughs>